All right, baby. Papa needs a new wagon. Hot dice! Hot dice! Sir? Sir? Excuse me? Hold on, hold on. Now, what was so important that you had to interrupt my rolling? Sir, I'm afraid you can't bring your own dice to the table. Whoa, whoa, hold, hold on. If you would provide the right number of dice, then I wouldn't have to bring my own. The right number of dice? Two is the right... Hold, hold that thought. I'm on a hot streak. Yahtzee! Yahtzee? Sir, the game is craps. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about integrating games of chance and gambling into your tabletop role-playing games. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And we're going to talk today, as we said, about gambling and and games of chance. Um, For the purposes of the discussion today, we're really going to break out gambling as as really two different things. Uh, First off is going to be those the, the games of chance. Uh, what I kind of think of games of chance are going to be like dice games, uh, kind of like craps like we had in, in the intro there, or roulette. Um, anything where the the player doesn't necessarily have to have any sort of skill to participate in the game, right? Yeah, just throw something out there. If you get money back, awesome. If you don't, um, well, something went wrong. Yeah. And then uh, what's the other thing, uh, other type of kind of gambling we'll be talking about? We will be talking about games of skill where players benefit from skills like reading people or bluffing like in poker, where it's better if people can't read, you know, your face and your expressions like, yes, I'm going to win or "Ooh, I hope they don't raise me on this. <laughs> yeah. And really, I, th- I feel like the big difference there is is that as a player in, in a game like poker, uh, you have the ability to use your social skills to try and identify whether somebody has something that you can beat uh, or somebody has something that you feel like you can convince them that you can beat so that you can take their money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot and, of... And whether you have that or not is completely uh, germane. It's just a matter of what you have and what you feel like you can convince people you have uh, and what you feel like they have. Yeah, a lot of rolling, a lot of... Uh discerning information and stuff like that uh, but I also think it's important to consider before you decide to throw gambling into a game is uh, is if your players are okay with it um, mm-hmm. you can there there is times people do have gambling addictions and so you might want to get a sense from your players maybe ask them privately um, if this is an okay thing for you to add into the campaign yeah and this is one of those things that that maybe if you have not had your session zero yet would be a great thing to add to the what are you willing to have in the game kind of conversation uh, or if you if you've already if you're already well into your campaign like like I am it may just be a matter of reaching out uh, send a text message or something on discord or, or a call and be like hey I was thinking about maybe having something like this in the future sometime. And it doesn't have to be committing to having it the next session or anything like that, but just feel them out and say, how would you feel about that? Is, is this okay for, for, um, for our game? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to watch it with, uh, with touchy things. You don't want to surprise everybody with it at the table and, and, uh, kind of hamper everybody's evening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it while, 
While it's not a majority by any means, um, it, it, there's definitely a chance that you could have somebody that suffers from gambling addiction and it's bringing this on them without any sort of notification, anything like that could be really bad to their recovery. Mm-hmm, most definitely. All right. So let's go ahead and move on. Let's assume you've already had that conversation and, and you're like, yeah, we're going to do this. So I, I think the first thing that you need to answer for yourself is why you're incorporating gambling into your game at all. Oh, exactly. You can have uh, like you can build it into the storyline, you know, uh, so maybe players need to interact with an NPC that's known to go to this particular gambling hall um you know, relatively often, so they your PCs are there waiting for them, trying to blend in with the crowd or something like that. Yeah, and in in that case, you could have an NPC that is either like like a shark who is wealthy and and does very well gambling, and and so that's may, maybe the only way that they can interact with them. Or you could have somebody that's not good at gambling and is generally poor, but they spend all of their money there, and uh, and uh, just. Uh, an easy place to find these NPCs. Mm-hmm. Or you could have to talk to the dealer um, because like I've seen this used in movies and stuff before where a dealer has interacted with um, an important person or has information mm-hmm. that, uh, that you might need to gain, but you know, it, you interacting at the table, trying to discern that information, do a little bit of gathering. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, if you've got somebody that that gambles a, a fair amount, a dealer could have a lot of information that other people might not, because they're they're potentially there with them for for hours, uh, potentially, and and kind of see a different side of them that that other interactions may not expose. Oh, exactly. They're gonna they're gonna have spent a ton of time with this person. Um, another thing is that the party could be hired to protect, like, uh, you know, those back-of-the-room high-stakes games. They always need some sort of protection because you got... Once you're putting in a lot of money, you get uh, a lot of emotions tied to that money when somebody loses. And so there's mm-hmm. always bouncers and stuff like that. And uh, in a fantasy setting, that could very well be an adventuring party. It's like, hey, you've got uh, you've got big swords. We might have some angry people. It would be handy to have some <laughs> <laughs> some big swords around. Yeah, and and the protecting the game could be protecting it from the people that are playing the game uh, should they get upset, but it could also be protecting it from an outside party that heard about the game and knows that there's going to be all this money there, and so they're going to take advantage of that to try and to try and rob the whole whole game. So it really could be an either or, and, and the, then the third piece here is it could be trying to keep the eyes of the law off the game. Uh, so when they come snooping around, just kind of creating a distraction or having conversations with law to kind of throw them off the trail. Uh, so there's a lot of ways that they could be hired to, quote unquote, protect the game, depending upon the environment that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but moving beyond that, they could also be on the other side of that. Maybe the the party is robbing the casino either to get money for themselves or they've been hired by somebody. I kind of like to think of like an Ocean's Eleven type scenario. Somebody's been wronged by the casino owner and they want to they want to make them hurt or whatever. Um, but it, it 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 
having them rob the casino can have a different style of play. They have to do a lot of planning. It's maybe not as much combat because if you start getting into combat in, in the robbing of the casino, you you've you've already you've already lost potentially. So it really can can have a different style of play than than uh, than maybe your players are used to. Absolutely. And just bouncing back to protecting the game, this is also a good opportunity for players with high perception checks to uh, mm-hmm. to be there looking for cheaters. They could also be employed for that. Um, but another good way to, or reason to incorporate gambling, I guess, would be as a background for the city or town that they're in. So if you have, um, you know, a town and, ev- well, I mean, look at Las Vegas. It's known as the city of sin. The city of sin. It's it's a good way to kind of reflect the moral outlook of of a town or a city. Yeah, and and I mean, it's one of those things. You can use it to contrast other towns as well. Maybe maybe the town that's twenty miles away really looks down upon the gambling and are are kind of holier than thou. Where this town is just like. Yeah, whatever goes. You you want to you want to throw your money away on a game of chance? Absolutely. Come on in. You you want to get drunk and and spend your time in the gutter? Sure thing. We allow that. Uh, <laughs> so it, you can not only it, it, use it to exhibit the morals, moral standing, moral outlook of the town. You can use it to very much contrast the the surrounding areas or other towns that they've been to, uh, because having those 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 different points it really really allows players to see well this isn't normal or maybe this is normal mm-hmm. and consider if you have uh, like a town that's basically run off of gambling um you're gonna see some very interesting things in that town number one is that uh, that establishment is going to be putting well likely to be putting money back into the area around it so you're going to see a wealthier mm-hmm. general area but that general area is also going to have some much less wealthy people, you know, because yep. <laughs> their wealth went to the casino to build those park benches. <laughs> right. Well, and, and to that, the the other thing that you could have if if you have something like a large casino is they could be doing things like paying off law enforcement. So they're enforcing things that are not quite laws, but benefit the casino. I uh, that that uh, that. Uh, house game you see at the back of the bar where it's just a bunch of people getting together maybe that's not considered quote-unquote legal when you've got a a large uh a large operation that's a casino so the the cops kind of come in and break it up and throw those guys into jail yeah exactly you can have them uh ensuring that they're the only game in town you know and it could extend beyond just gambling to things like uh, the procurement of alcohol or whatever they need to run their business uh, because it's they have kind of this large interest in these things. They could kind of drive the prices up for other businesses in the region by having that almost monopolistic uh, interest in, in buying those those uh, those things. Oh, exactly. You can it can it can adjust the entire economy of a region. And uh, yep. you can, if you look into that and how that's going to impact things, not to mention when you start looking into stuff like that, you can see it coming up with, with other plot points or side mm-hmm. quests. You can always find more info and more adventure everywhere you look. 
Yeah, that's actually one of the nice things if you're especially if you're doing kind of a large uh, casino style thing. But even in kind of those backroom illicit type uh, gambling establishments, you can really add in a lot of threads to the game that, that if the players decide that they want to follow can build out a, a pretty robust story um, just by this one little thread of, well, it, it costs so much to buy ale for my inn. I'm going out of business kind of thing. Absolutely. So if you if you do want to involve like gambling into your into your campaign into a session, um, something that you should be careful for is knowing exactly or roughly. I guess you can never really anticipate what players are doing, um, but having a rough idea about how much gambling is going to be in the session. If mm-hmm. uh, if your whole plan, they're going to be spending the majority of the night gambling because they're trying to earn X amount of money for whatever it might be more beneficial to instead just set up like a poker night type idea. You could even do it themed with like, you know, your characters and stuff like that, but then just bypass trying to run like an actual D and D session when you know, it's just going to be uh, gambling essentially. Yeah. And, and that helps if you've got, if you've got a, a group where several are like, yeah, let's let's go into this casino and spend all the time gambling. And you've got some that are like, I just want to move the story forward. I want to do this. And you've got some that are, I just want to get to the next combat. Uh, by, by, by splitting it out into something that, hey, guys, this isn't a D&D session. We're just going to we're just going to play poker tonight and have fun. Uh it gives the option for those that are not as interested to to bow out, but also they may be interested just out of the context of the game. So they can say, oh, well, yeah, we're not doing our D&D session. This is totally different. So, yeah, I'll, I'll join and, and play. We'll, we'll just have some fun. Mm-hmm. And then it also, like, I've played poker with my friends and stuff before, and wagering, like, $5, that's, it's it's exciting. But when when it, uh, when you're playing and you know that your character, like, actually needs this money, it actually can up the stakes and uh, make it a lot more exciting than, than your standard, um, like, at-home poker game. Yeah. And and if the if if the reason that you're doing gambling in your game is because the players just want to go and, and gamble, that that's fine. Uh, but you can also still seed in storyline aspects or new story hooks uh, as, as part of that that gambling experience. There's a lot of different NPCs that they could encounter as, as part of this interaction. So don't just. I, I mean, it, it's really easy to just say, "All right, we're going to go and." And we'll just do some games and, and that's it. But take a moment to understand who's going to be at the table with them. There's obviously the dealer. Um, depending upon the game, there could be multiple people working for the casino that are at there. There's going to be other players. There's going to be potentially servers bringing drinks and whatever. So there's a lot of opportunity for them to interact with other parts of the game that can provide clues to the current quest that they're on or provide them an opportunity to take on a, a side quest or even a major quest line. Mm-hmm. And the players could also be playing not necessarily to earn money, but to earn information because, mm-hmm. you know, not all casinos are going to be run like, like our current modern day casinos where you have, you know, your pit boss staring at your dealers and your dealers never doing anything out of the ordinary. 
um, <laughs> <laughs> like very, very strict. It's probably not going to be like that. You're probably just going to have this guy over here and you could, you know, you could wheel and deal a little. And if I win this hand, you'll tell me what, uh, what Bob did last night. Yeah. And if I lose, you get my money. <laughs> mm-hmm. No one needs to know. Yep. <laughs> so we've kind of been, been focusing on, on why to have a game uh, why to have gambling in your game. Let's maybe move on a little bit to talk about where the gambling could be happening. We've alluded to this a little bit, but I think we can really, uh, really dive a little bit deeper into the topic to kind of explore where all this stuff goes on. Oh, um, and, yeah. And the, the, the first thing that I think of, the one that I've probably most encountered in the games that I've played is uh, kind of an informal game that's that's in a bar so townsfolk kind of gathering and, and having their drink, but also playing a, a card game in the back. And, and yeah, we'll welcome some, some traveler that has money that we can take from him. Certainly we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll allow you to join our game kind of thing. Yeah, and that's probably one of the easiest ways to just quickly implement some a little bit of gambling into the campaign because you don't have to build out a casino or build out all these other things that are happening. It's just it's just four dudes sitting at this table. The stakes don't need to be crazy high, you know. They're if they're all townsfolk or commoners, you know, they're probably they're probably not even wagering gold pieces, you know. It's yeah, playing with copper or silver at, at the most. Mm-hmm give a good chance for your PCs to kind of interact with some of the townspeople, maybe get a little bit of information, have a little bit of fun. Uh, But you also have to be careful um, that people don't get, people don't sit at the table for too long. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I've had it once where somebody was like, cool, I'll gamble. And one of the players sat down and they just wanted to keep playing cards and talking to the NPCs. And it, it can very quickly devolve into one PC talking to all four of my current personalities at the table <laughs> <laughs> and none of the other PCs getting to do anything. So you kind of have to um, – I like to consider ways before I run into this um, to kind of stop the game from happening, right? It's a good way to have an out or it's a good idea to have an out. Yeah, and I, I feel like in these informal games, it's probably one of the easier ways to have a, have an actual out in that you can, because they're townsfolk, you can be like, oh, man, that's too rich for my blood. I'm, I got to go home or or the guy that's that's winning be like, I'm just going to quit while I'm ahead. And and if one of them leaves, it could cause the rest of them to be like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea where I'm going to leave too. And just the game kind of naturally breaks up mm-hmm. uh, where if you get into a situation where you've got a more formalized game, whether it's a backroom game or a casino game, it's a little bit harder to do that. Oh, abs- yeah, it can get it can get real complicated, and that's why it's better off if you like p- kind of pre-plan um, a couple of different outs. I never like to only ever plan one option because when you plan one option, the PCs will not get anywhere close to that option. <laughs> 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 yeah, no matter um, the. Uh- uh, I was going to say, the other nice thing about the informal game is it's just one type of game. You don't have to think about five different games that may be played at an establishment. It's just these people getting together to play a card game. You could even leverage a game that that um, that is is in the real world or just a simple card game that you can very easily bring into your game um, that's, that's more custom. Um, 
So yeah, it, it, this is probably one of the easier ways to, to implement this. Uh, another easy way, though, would be kind of like a side of the road game. And when I say side of the road, it could be a couple of different ways. Maybe maybe they meet a traveler or a traveling merchant, and they've got some sort of game that they're willing to play with the players, right? Mm-hmm. Or you've got uh, uh, one of those, uh, not not a busker, but like that, where they're playing three card Monty at the side of the at the side of the mm-hmm. road, and they're basically trying to scam people, which you can still win. Yeah, where's the P? Where's the P? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. And, and and so you can you can do this with different types of games. Uh, I like the the traveling merchant that uh, maybe has some things that the the players are really interested in buying, but they want to negotiate a price. And you could have a you could have a merchant where where he's like, yeah, I don't negotiate, but I'll give you the chance to have a lower price if you want to play this simple dice game with me. And if the players agree, they they kind of go into this implicit agreement that that whatever happens, they're they're going to purchase that item. Um, but if they roll a, let's say it's a dice game, if they roll a certain number, maybe they get a certain discount. Uh, maybe a different number, they get a higher discount. But if they roll a uh, maybe a lower number in this case, they get an increased price to where they're paying five or ten percent more for the item. But they've already already entered this agreement that they will buy it, whatever the outcome is. Yeah, and you can really play with stuff. You can also make it a, a magic item that they desperately want, and mm-hmm. uh, for, basically force the game on them. It's like this guy is—he will not sell it to you if you don't play this game with him. If you win, you can right. have this item. If you don't, um, I don't know. He's going to take your backpack. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I so either that or or the pricing. I think it works really well, if, especially if it's something that the players are really really wanting to have for for their game. Mm-hmm. And so, even if you're not using items and uh, you're just using regular money, um, if you if this guy is just basically gambling with passersby, it's also still going to be a bit of a lower stakes game. Uh, most travelers, uh, you know, through potentially dangerous areas, probably aren't packing their life savings with them. Uh, you know, they're... oh, I've got ten thousand gold <laughs> to bet on this. <laughs> yeah, and so they're all going to be a little bit more lower stakes games, and so you're not gonna you're not gonna accidentally let your players run away with enough gold to buy the next city. Yeah, and one thing to keep in mind is that is that in any of these games, if you do get to the point where um, where the players have maybe won a lot of money, there's always the potential that somebody saw them win this money and decide that they want to try and take it from them. So it gives you an opportunity for for potentially a, a combat encounter, encounter or a role playing encounter, depending upon how you want to approach it. Uh, of those people trying to get the get the the um, the one the the earnings that that they won through this gambling, and and that can happen in any of these gambling situations. But I really like the side of the road because you could almost have a have a uh, ha- have a situation where the person who's running the games is actually running a scam, where where he fi- kind of figures out how much money they have by running this game. And maybe they win a little bit and then they leave and he has his buddies ambush them a little bit down the road. 
Yeah, it's like I I saw these guys as coin purses. They are loaded. Let's let's follow them. <laughs> yeah. Um. So aside from side of the road, you can also do like those those backroom games that we were talking about earlier. So maybe mm-hmm. gambling is illegal in the area, so people don't want to actually go to that next city where where is it's Las Vegas. They want to stay at home, but it's it's illegal here. So they're gonna you know fire up their own little backroom game and that puts you at risk of uh the police finding out but it also gives you um a lot of room for tiny little side quests right yep yeah because you have to figure out maybe the players have to figure out first off that a game actually exists and and they can explore the rumor mill and and maybe find some clues to the fact that it exists but even if they know it exists they might have to figure out how to get in whether it's a secret password or knowing a guy who knows a guy, or maybe it's just a simple matter of they have to have a, a large amount of funds to even get in the door. Yeah, backroom games, you can, have, you can have games where the stakes can be incredibly high and you require a ton of money just to get a seat at the table. Yeah, and, and if you have something like that, your your entrance fee could be just this is what you're gambling with, but you have to you have to front it so that they know that you're good for it. Um, it could be just like this is what we charge to to get in here, and then after that you gamble whatever you want, kind of thing. I kind of like the first piece because it 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 puts a puts a stake on it for just going in that, that you could maybe win back. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, you could have, uh, so if you have a host, right, if if the game is consistently being played at the same location, um, it gives the host opportunities if they're a less than honest person, and chances are they are, because in this scenario, <laughs> uh, the game itself is illegal. Uh, but they could put things, um, they, they could find ways to cheat, you know, maybe install one-way mirrors or those type of things, magical things, um, you know, plant uh, bodyguards that are giving them secret clues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think of the the movie Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, where kind of the the impetus for all of the action there is these guys raise money to get a seat at this gambling table, and the guy who runs it has has these secret cameras that can kind of see what the cards are for the for the player, so he understands how to play and gets these people to. to to go into debt with him and and so obviously cameras are probably not a thing in in most of the worlds if we're talking about D, pathfinder stuff like that but magic does exist so you could have things in play that that um allow them to magically uh look at what's going on with that player mm-hmm. you can have uh, set up little seeing runes somewhere <laughs> yeah telepathically beam that into the into the host's head (laughs) (laughs) Um, another thing is uh, there's a probably a good chance that that they're not going to let the players bring their weapons in with them Mm -hmm. yeah checking those weapons at the door so they can't get mad and and try and just attack everybody there and take their money back Mm -hmm. yeah because people don't usually uh, let people well the other thing is is that maybe they do let them bring their weapons in but everybody else at the table is also heavily armed <laughs> mm-hmm. which yeah if you're going to be allowed weapons it's, chances are that nobody else at the table is is uh is going to be unable to defend themselves uh so it, it, 
it's it's kind of like you can't bring your weapons and you're all on the same playing field or you can bring your weapons and you're all on the same playing field. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like quests? If so, I have good news for you. Darkwind, the sponsor of this episode of Becoming DM, is full of quests for your character to pursue. Whether it's finding the components to make a potion, dealing with the town bully, assembling an ancient artifact, or just finding a collar for the local stray, there are a lot of quests to check out. And they're all ranked by levels, so you know what you're getting into before you start off. You can play Darkwind and check out all of the quests for free. Just go to play.darkwind.org to start your character today. Now let's get back to the show. Um, so we've talked about back rooms and uh, side of the road, stuff like that. Uh, then we can go with where we started, which is like a casino, like a full-blown building um, that's everything about it is dedicated to gambling and all the different gambling games that you can play. Uh, it would be really glamorous. Well, you can think back again to to Las Vegas and stuff like that, where they have a lot of things that they do to encourage more gambling and get more money for the house, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and we've been talking about Vegas, but if you want something that's maybe a little bit thematically closer, uh, if you've seen like Shadow and Bone, uh, some of the characters there start uh, start with within a casino kind of thing. And so, if you're looking for inspiration, it doesn't always have to be Vegas, but it yeah. could be <laughs> these other other places. Um, and I feel like when you have uh, when you have a casino like this, it really allows you to highlight how that location is going to be different than others. Because typically you've got a casino, they're wanting to, to attract a more affluent clientele because that means they have more money that they can pull in. So they're going to put more money into the appearance and the feel and and uh, just generally the the amenities that are offered by by a casino, if it's a if it's a higher end casino. Now there are, are obviously different tiers of casinos that you could have. Some that are that are uh, a little bit more dingy, a little bit older. Maybe they used to be cool and and now they're not. But uh, it, it you need to think about that as you build out a casino if you're going to have one of those in your in your environment. Yeah, having flump concierge that hasn't been in for like twenty years. <laughs> but if you have a if you have a high end casino, also consider the fact that uh, they might have like uh, some some wizards or something on staff who are constantly putting in like magical countermeasures um, mm-hmm. to prevent magical cheating, right? Because we 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 are generally sometimes, I guess, operating within a magical realm. And if yep. you have players who are magical and they just walk in and you haven't. Uh, planned any magical countermeasures and they just beat all the games that will be a a lot less fun (laughs) yeah and and so those countermeasures could be something as simple as as people doing detect magic at the front door uh so if somebody has gotten some enhancement that gives them luck for instance uh or 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 something like that they're gonna be like no you got to get out of here none none of your kind here kind of thing (laughs) Yeah, it's like and, you, you must not be, you know, have uh, bonuses cast upon you before entering. 
Yeah, and or you could also have like like pit bosses that have some ability to recognize when magic is in use, whether it's somebody that was enchanted on the way in, or or they have some hidden item that that helps them out. Um, having having a pit boss that's maybe some creature that can detect those torch tor- sorts of things innately. Uh, again, trying to keep the the games quote unquote fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be inclined to like enchant the stools. So like if somebody sat down, it would just like start glowing and it's like you <laughs> you can't be in here. <laughs> I like that. But yeah. <laughs> your butt begins to glow. <laughs> like oh. Um and and like the back room, it's 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 highly likely that they would need to check in weapons at the door. In fact, I would say it's almost guaranteed that they would need to check in weapons at the door here, just because of the amount of of capital that may be moving through that door on a daily basis. They don't want somebody to just walk in and try to steal all of it, right? Now, not to mention the fact that you're going to have in like a big casino. Chances are you're going to have more patrons than bodyguards by like a large degree. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you really don't want your bodyguards to get overrun. I mean, they can have weapons, or your security, I guess. They can have weapons, but you really don't want to be allowing <laughs> all these people who could uh, rob you or even get into a disagreement with, say, a dealer um, or another player, stuff like that. You don't want to deal with that stuff when you're running a casino. Yeah, and and kind of taking it to the next step. Another thing that you you may want to do if you if you have a really high end classy kind of casino, they may want to have everyone uh, adhere to some sort of dress code again to to exhibit that that experience that they're looking to have with their with their patrons again bring in more money by making it look like the people there actually have more money. <laughs> Not to mention um, the fact that how often are you going to have somebody come sit at a table in full plate? Yep, yep. <laughs> like, uh, clank, clank, clank. I want to put 50 on red. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's a, it's a great way to get your players out of their armor. Um, also, they might need to buy nicer clothes because mm-hmm. I've had... Uh, like you, I've played lots of campaigns where nobody's ever co- really concerned about what they wear, and you think about all the things that happen to you in in a campaign when you're off in the woods, and then you come back to town. There's no way that you look presentable. To- <laughs> <laughs> and, and the other thing about this is also gives some of your players the ability to use some of the things that they already own. Uh, for instance, one of my rogue characters has a has a charlatan background, and part of that background you you start with a with a set of fine clothes and i've never used it (laughs) (laughs) i i have thoughts on how i might use it in the end but if you're if you're strictly adventuring out in the wilds and, and stuff like that the chances of you being able to use it are pretty slim so just having something like that that allows players that may already have that stuff to use it is like a oh awesome i i have i've had this stuff and i finally get to use it <laughs> it can really make those players feel a lot more involved with the campaign when all of a sudden they become super useful like say that all the shops are closed and nobody can go buy fine clothes at this time so everybody could wait till tomorrow or because this one person has been packing around this really fluffy shirt for six months, <laughs> <laughs> the the game can continue right now, and that can make people feel really, uh, like, really uh, happy. Yeah. So 
the other thing when you have a casino that 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 you need to kind of be prepared for and plan for is that they're typically going to have multiple types of gaming tables um, that, that suit different styles of play. So this could be a mixture of of games of chance as well as games of skill. And, and as you're introducing a casino, you do need to be careful because the larger the casino that you have, that just means you, you as the DM are probably going to have to come up with more types of games for them to play. Because just because you come up with one type of game doesn't mean the players are going to have any interest in playing that. Yeah, this is the casino of Liar's Dice. That's all we do here. <laughs> um, but even with if you have all these different games set up um, at different casinos, each of the games will have different tables with different uh, betting restrictions. So like this mm-hmm. is this is the poker table where you can just bet copper and four tables over is the poker table where it's a minimum bet of like five gold. And so you go from having, oh, but I, I just have four different games, but each of those four different games have four different tables. That's 16. And all of those tables need NPCs, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, and we'll talk a little bit about the, the minimum and maximum bets, but that's really a way that you can, you can define how your players can win and and again we'll talk about it later so i don't want to get too far into that right now uh but but leveraging those different types of bets can fill out your as you mentioned fill out your casino so that you don't have to have 30 different games you can have five different games all with different betting structures Mm -hmm. definitely and keep in mind that with all of these different games uh the odds are always more favorable to the house Right or the house winning, I guess. Um, if 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 a game doesn't benefit the house on average, like just slightly more than the players, then this establishment will not be an establishment for very long. <laughs> right? They got <laughs> unless they got bills it's a front for some sort of criminal conspiracy. <laughs> well, you know that could be a thing too. That's that's its own little thing. Everybody, it's like everybody wins at the at this casino. Why? What what is happening? That could be its own little story. I like that. Yep. All right, so I, I think we've kind of talked enough about where uh, you can have this gambling happen. Let's talk about what kind of games to offer. And I don't, we're not going to get into every single type of game that you could have in your gambling establishments, but we do want to talk about um, about selection of games and and what things you might want to consider as you're selecting games to put into it. And and the first thing to talk about is you could, if you wanted to, just use games that are currently available in the real world. Uh, Texas Hold'em. Well, maybe it's not Texas Hold'em. It's uh, Neverwinter Hold'em or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and and but but the reason you may not want to do that is by by having something different. It's going to underscore underscore that your world is different than the real world and so the games are also going to be different right uh yeah absolutely and the other thing is that if you if you just if you're creating and borrowing games right you can adjust them you can adjust the rules you don't have like if you have neverwinter hold'em you don't need to follow all of the exact rules of texas hold'em because this is neverwinter this is completely different and you can change the rules just enough to ensure that the mechanics lend themselves to being easy and quick. So it gives you a little bit more control over how long this game is going to go. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, and and 
it, one of the things that you can do to really adapt any kind of real-world game into your role-playing game is simply change it from whatever mechanic it uses to use dice. You've got all of these dice at the table. You may as well <laughs> leverage them as part of your game, right? Yeah, if you don't have enough dice at the... Well, you just have to have enough dice. Uh, well, unless you're an entire table running off of one set of, of mm-hmm. seven polyhedral dice, which would be kind of crazy. Yep. Um, and if you get to the point where you're like, well, I want to have different games, but I just don't know what to do, a very quick Google search will reveal a ton of different games that people have either created or modified real world games or or something else or just compiled from other people's lists that you can use in your game and and um and that those those games could be completely new like uh like I think I saw one called Liar's Dice where you roll five or six dice and and you don't show anybody else what you have, and everybody kind of bets on what numbers are all out there, and and it's sort of like a skill game combined with a combined with a little bit of of, of chance. Um, and then once everybody has bet and 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 raised and all that stuff, you reveal all the dice and see who actually won. So, uh, kind of different than than what you would maybe see in a regular casino but it's again leveraging those dice uh i found that on a on a quick google search and uh and there were i on that on that particular page there were at least seven or eight more um games that were were on there you could leverage there's there's so many different options out there but it's also important when you're when you're just kind of grab bagging a bunch of games so you're building a casino or something um, make sure that you have different styles so we spoke earlier about uh, difference between skill and chance games uh, mm-hmm. so when you're when you're flushing out uh, your tables and stuff like that you want to make sure to have some of each yeah so uh, I a table of, of liar's dice, which we just talked about. Maybe a table of, uh, of a game that's kind of like roulette called Tamora Spinner um, that, that is really, really highly chance uh, related. Uh, maybe some other tables that have other games and, and kind of have a, have a split. And understand that from the perspective of a casino... They're gonna really if you're if you're doing a casino rather than than a back room or, or something like that from the perspective of a casino, they're really gonna lean more heavily towards those chance games because they can control the payouts. They they make more money with them. Uh, whereas games of skill, you're typically playing against other players, and and yeah, that they don't they don't really make as much money off of those games. Well, no, because you're you're trying to steal somebody else who has also just walked into the casino, you know. And yep. at that point in time, the the casino's not. I don't know how the casino makes money off of like a poker table. Do they? I you know I I was I was wondering that myself. I don't know that they do. Uh, I think that maybe they rely upon people that are maybe there with the poker players to play the other games mm-hmm. or or stuff like that. Um, um yeah. yeah, I don't know. Maybe one of our <laughs> listeners knows. Do do casinos make money off of poker players if that's all they're doing is playing poker? <laughs> well, yeah, cuz like drinks are usually free or something like that if you're sitting. But the other yeah. thing is like so you've got all these people sitting around a poker t- poker table. Um you're still going to have people who work for the casino watching these people to make sure that they're not cheating, right? Mm-hmm. And so if like I I've met a lot of rogues 
and rogues, one of their favorite things to do is to try and cheat whenever, wherever possible. And uh, so it's a good idea to kind of have um, an idea about what the consequences are if and when y- your players kind of get caught doing something that maybe they're not supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the other thing is is that... that- even though you can cheat, you can also, especially with games of skill, you can leverage those those skills that a player has. And I'm going to list off of several skills that are split between Pathfinder and D&D, so just bear with me. So like sense motive, insight, perception, bluff, deception, those can all be used in a legitimate, non-cheating way as part of those skills games. So uh, if if a if a rogue, for instance, has a high perception, they may be able to pick up uh, pick up things that players are doing to understand ticks or or a high sense motive um, um, slash insight. Uh, they may be able to do that with that, and and that would give them a give them an edge. Now, if they wanted to cheat, <laughs> you could leverage things like sleight of hand, uh, where where they maybe palm a card to keep for later or something like that. And and so understand the difference between the two and understand what the player is actually wanting to do. If they're literally wanting to cheat, you need to understand what the countermeasures are for that cheating in the establishment that you're doing. Again, if it's a if it's an informal game, it's probably just like whatever these drunk guys that you're playing against might happen to notice. So it's a lot easier uh, where if it's at a at a more established casino uh, you're going to have people watching, and they're going to have have a have a good method to to spot those things. So again, just understand what they are before you get in that situation. So when they when the player inevitably says, "I want to I want to palm the card or I want to cheat," you understand what the mechanisms are, and you're not just making something up on the fly. Yeah, because like in most games I've played, there's a really high chance um, that the rogue's going to do something. <laughs> and so having those fleshed out beforehand when you can be relatively certain that somebody's going to do something at some point in time, uh, it really takes the heat off of the moment. And sometimes you can make, like, I, well, I have before where it's like, okay, this is what's going to happen. And then I realize afterwards it was either like way too mild and didn't affect them at all or just extremely harsh. <laughs> it's like, oh, I should have planned that a little bit better. Yeah, well, and and aside from understanding what those countermeasures are how how people understand that there's cheating being done you also need to understand what the consequences are which it sounds like you were just talking about and the venue is going to largely determine that uh maybe a casino they take you to their back room and rough you up a little bit and turn you over to the law maybe a maybe a uh, illicit backroom deal they just kill you mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it uh, the venue really is going to determine what that what that penalty is going to be as well. Yeah, and predetermining penalty is important for cheating, uh, but you also have to kind of have a predetermined idea about what the payouts are going to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, think about that before everything kind of starts going down. When you're playing games of skill against, like in the in the poker scenario, um, you're not going to be sitting at a table with ten thousand gold pieces uh, versus you know four other peasants who sold their chickens for three copper to come play this game with you today. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, who you're playing against is really going to depend on kind of like what money you're going to make in 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 the skill version. Yeah. Now, if the if you're at 
like a large casino and they've got like a high roller table, you may be looking at ten thousand dollar, ten thousand gold bets um, at the table. Now, it if you are, then you do need to consider what that does for your economy. But if the if the player already has ten thousand gold on hand, it's probably not gonna gonna sway it too much one way or the other. Mm-hmm. You can. Having an idea about what your payouts are going to be ahead of time and kind of like pre-planning that. Like, do you want to have a high roller table? Um, what if mm-hmm. your player walks out of there with 100,000 gold pieces? You know, that's that's probably going to have some sort of impact on your campaign. Probably really yep. quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um so I, I think that with with the games of skill, it's it's very easy to say these people have this much money and this is how much they could possibly win by playing this game and very easily setting a limit like that, where if you've got a game of chance and you're playing against the house, you do have to consider what the payout is versus what the odds are. And, and I, I think that uh, I'm going to use... American roulette as an example here to talk about payout versus odds, just because it, I, I think it's a it's a game that people are have at least seen. They know it's a big dial with a bunch of numbers on it. And you put a little ball on that, and it lands in a lands in a pocket. And if you bet that number, you win. Or if you bet that color, you win. And um, and there are specific odds associated with. It. So I'm going to use that for just a second. Um, so. In American Roulette, there's 36 pockets that the little ball can can end up in. Uh, so if you just do straight number betting, I, I'm going to bet on a 32, then your odds of winning are 1 in 36. That's pretty pretty simple. There's 36 pockets. It's one thing you're betting on. Um, and typically payout is, on that is 35 to 1. So the payout is uh, ratio is slightly less than your odds of winning. And you're typically going to see that in any sort of game of chance because, again, the house always wins. So even if you win, uh, the likelihood of you getting that win is uh, is such that they're still paying out to you is not that big a deal because they've had 35 other occasions where they've taken people's money. <laughs> um, and... So that's that's for that single number bet. And then if you bet on like an even odd or red black, um, typically the payout is one to one. So you get your bet back plus plus uh, an, an amount equivalent to your bet. But the odds of hitting that, even though you're doing even odd red black, are a little a little bit less than one to one. So because of those green zeros. Yeah. So if you. Um, if you were playing a game like uh, that, that you were designing to be kind of like uh, like roulette, like a Tamora spinner, uh, is one I've seen where you're just rolling a, a d20 and they're betting on that, um, then a single number bet would be uh, would be a 19 to one payout because it's it's um, it's a uh, it's uh, chances of one in 20. So you again want that to be more on the on the uh, houses side, whereas a single whereas a uh, even odd, you might. Uh, you might say it's it's 0.9 to one because there's not a there's not a green zero on there, um, so you you want to you want to give the option you want to give it again to make it where the house it's more favored in the house so maybe they win nine silver on a on a gold bet something like that. 
Mm-hmm. And so your your house will always always uh, make more money. Like I said earlier, if your house isn't isn't on average winning more, uh, then there's not going to be a house for that long. The company mm-hmm. business will not stay in business. Yeah, and you could really get down and nerdy with with the. Uh, down and nerdy. That's a phrase that we need to make. Uh, you, you could really get down and nerdy with with all the odds and payouts and stuff like that. But again, if you look at some of the games that are out there, some of them will include what those odds and payouts are. Especially, this is really something for the chance games you need to consider. Um, but if if you don't see something, take a look at what what uh, what casinos do with their their uh, their games and kind of base it on that. This is. I, when I was looking at Tomorrow Spinner, I didn't see a payout uh, for that necessarily. So I just kind of made up what we just talked about, the 19 to 1 and the 0. 0.9 to 1, just based upon what I saw the the odds were in a regular casino for roulette. Mm-hmm. And also keep in mind that uh, like your players could end up winning a ton of money if they're if they're super lucky you're you know luck happens mm-hmm. there are people who uh, go places and they come out with tons and tons of money and that's why people keep going to these establishments not because nobody ever wins but because you can win and you have to be prepared for what you're going to do if your players um, do come out with a ton of money and another thing is keep in mind your players could just decide to rob a casino. Like, I know we spoke about it as kind of a bit of a plot point before, but if you put a casino into your game, your mm-hmm. players could just be like, you know what, let's not gamble. Let's rob the place. Let's, you know, and then we'll buy the next town we see. It seems see. like it might be more lucrative to just rob it. <laughs> <laughs> and so you really got to be careful when you put in like a big money generator like this. Yeah, in those cases, definitely consider what the countermeasures are, what the protection is. Uh, the more money a, a casino has or a gambling establishment has, the more elaborate and and high end those protective measures are going to be. So absolutely, because they can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's uh, that's primarily what we wanted to talk about this week. Uh, hopefully, you had fun talking about gambling and and uh, if you're considering doing this in your game, we'd love to hear what worked and what didn't, and uh, and uh, hear back from you. So uh, if you want to reach out to us, uh, you can catch us on our website, becomingdm.com. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash becomingdm. And then on Twitter, Pinterest, uh, Instagram, we're becomingdm. So again, thanks for joining us. And until next time, stay Stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are becomingdm. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.